John 20, verse 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six toned water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Aviel. Hello, everybody. Are you all okay? Lovely. I'm Emily off of prison alpha, Emily, just in case I haven't met you. Um, before moving to moving back home to Southampton, um, I lived in London for a few years, and London is an incredibly sociable city. There's a lot to do, there's a lot to see, there's lots of places to go out and eat in the evenings. However, when I was there, there were these this limitation on this fun, which was ominously known as the last tube home. Today, Londoners have the night tube, which means the fun continues until the early hours of the morning, depending on your age and energy levels. But whilst I was there, you were faced with the impending decision of leaving whatever you were attending and running for the last tube at 11 p.m. Otherwise, you would face the horrors of the night bus, which I'm not going to go into, the fear, the frustrations, and the wild things that you would encounter on them. So my housemates and I, we love to host people, we love to have gatherings and parties for a whole multitude of celebrations, one of which was uh, an anniversary of me being a vegetarian for 10 years. I made everyone come dressed as their favorite animal. Um, yet we found... We, were found, we found that we were consistently boxed in by the restrictions of the last tube home. Even when the party was still going strong, people would grab their jackets and rush out the door. So my housemate devised the fantastic plan. At, at 10.55, before people started to make their plans, before the should I stay or should I go indecisiveness crept in, out from the oven, she produced a tray of humble fish fingers or vegetarian alternative fish fingers. Now, we can appreciate that there is nothing wildly special about a fish finger, but team it with a perfectly soft white bread roll, some sweet chili sauce or alternative condiment of your choosing, and you've got yourself a feast. The crowds flocked into the kitchen, food flew off the plate, and suddenly time and transport seemed irrelevant. 
It became iconic, it became our brand for parties, it was our legacy in that flat. It marked the second wave of the party that had begun and the joy continued into the night. This passage that we've just read of Jesus turning water into wine can evoke a familiar kind of joy and celebration. We can often place ourselves in this story and draw on our own experience of celebrations that we've been to. And it's often a story that is sometimes used to say, see, Jesus loved the party, Jesus was a fun guy. But this story is so much more than that. There is an ineffable amount of imagery and symbolism and nods to the past and the future interwoven into this narrative that is so much more poignant and compelling than just Jesus was up for a good time. Today is the second talk in our series where we are working through John's Gospel. And through writing this talk, I've discovered how much richness there is to what is spoken and written down in this passage. That it's been hard not to be in awe of Jesus and the intentionality and the poetry behind every action and every decision that was made. And so if you are learning about Jesus for the first time, if you are in a place of rediscovering who Jesus is, then I think this series is going to be brilliant for you. If you can approach these readings over the next few weeks with a sense of curiosity, if you can lean in and keep asking the question, who is this man? Who is this Jesus? Then I think you will discover and learn surprising and compelling things. For those of us in the room who have been following Jesus for a long time, who are well versed in this story and the miracles that will follow, can I encourage you to lean in also, to look for and to ask him to show you something about him that may be new or may have been laying dormant for a while, something that surprises you, something that might take you back, something about him that fills you with wonder once again. So without further ado, let's dive in. But I have two points that I want to draw out of this passage. Um, But in order to do that, we're actually going to start at the end and start with verse 11, right? Um, So what Jesus did here at Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Everything that unfolds in this moment is pointing to something bigger. Everything that Jesus speaks and does is showing something of his nature, of his glory. It is a sign of something. But what is it a sign of? It is a sign of the kingdom of God at work breaking into situations like what we've just read. Threaded throughout the Bible are descriptions and indicators as to what the kingdom of God is, but essentially it is the rule and the reign of God on earth and in heaven. So when in scripture Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, he is explaining that it is tangible, it is present, it's active, and we are told to seek this out. We will come to learn this kingdom is as much about physical flourishing as it is about spiritual flourishing. And in the simple action of turning water into wine, Jesus is pointing to all of this. 
So what does this passage have to teach us about what the kingdom of God is like? Well, the first thing, the kingdom of God is about abundance. In the story we've read, we could ask, why did the wine run out in the first place? Was it ill planning or preparation on the part of the hosts? Were they struggling to make ends meet? Weddings are expensive. Were they trying to find ways that they could cut corners and save money? But in this moment of lack, of scarcity, Jesus provided and he did so abundantly. Now, I struggled to imagine what these jars look like. My mind couldn't really call on what a container or six containers of this size would actually look like. But never fear, I found a great website that does that for you. Uh, It's called themeasureofthings.com. Really creative, imaginative name. Um, And I know you might go home and have a little look at it after the service. But if we take the total amount of water in all six jars, that is 180 gallons of water. Again, I still can't really picture what that is. But according to this website, that is the equivalent of four and a half times of a bathtub. It's about 400 ostrich eggs. Uh, Or it's also 1,000 cups of specifically Starbucks venti coffee. Basically, a a lot of water is about to become a lot of wine. And these jars were filled to the brim. This is not just a half-hearted, second-thought reaction. This is a moment in its fullest and in its optimum. Charles Spurgeon, if you've heard of him, was a passionate Baptist preacher alive in the 1800s. His preachers are known for being incredibly powerful and compelling. And when speaking of miracles and signs that unfold in the Bible, he says, this inspired book does not promise us small things. It is not pitched at a low key. This inspired book does not promise us small things. It is not pitched at a low key. Jesus does not promise us small things. I don't know where that sits with you this morning, but Jesus does not promise you small things. In this story and in the stories that will follow, Jesus is raising and then surpassing expectations. He's saying, you've put me in this box, but I am so much more than that. So when life doesn't seem to be going as we planned, it's very hard to live out, live in the unknown or not just take matters into our own hands. In a world where the answer or the tutorial to our question is in a three-minute video that lives on the internet in our back pocket, it's very other to our natural intuition to sit without answers and to not know the outcomes. Yet... There is nothing more powerful than having the confidence to say, I don't know what God will do, but I expect him to do something. Our values at St. Mary's, you may have heard us say it before, it might be new to you, are family, fearless and fun. We can be fearless not through our own brute strength or willpower, but through knowledge of who God is. 
So if I were to suggest that fear might outwork itself as second-guessing or insecurity, then maybe the opposite of this, fearlessness, can outwork itself as security in God, of trusting him. When we don't know what comes next, when we don't know about the job or the housing situation or about the health of a loved one, we can still trust in God's abundant provision despite not knowing what form that will take. If you think that's naivety, I would actually challenge that and say, I think that's humility. Humility is to understand that there is more unfolding than initially meets the eye. And if anything, that is more true to what is taking place in this story. There was no pomp, no attention-grabbing, waving of hands. Jesus simply gave directions. The servants followed, and a miracle unfolded. As a result, the celebration continued, yet the majority of the room were none the wiser. So perhaps it's helpful to be reminded that when we talk about provision and abundance, when we talk about the kingdom of God at work, this kingdom is always active, it's always present, and it's consistently delivering abundantly more than we can ask or even begin to imagine. So not only does Jesus promise us something, but he promises us big things. He didn't just deliver wine he delivered the best wine that was served. So the story tells us that in our seasons of lack, in our moments of exhaustion, in grief, in loss, Jesus is still present. Jesus is still working and Jesus is still creating. And so we have permission to hope and ask because by this account, the kingdom of God is at work and not only that, it is filled to the brim. And so secondly, the kingdom of God is about new life. In the Old Testament, after the flood, one of the first things that Noah does is plant a vineyard. God had just made a covenant with them, which means he'd made a promise to protect and sustain every living thing that proceeds from that moment onwards. And the first thing that Noah carries out is to plant and harvest a vineyard. From a time of destruction and loss comes new beginnings and new life. Not only does Jesus' ministry start with wine, it also ends with wine. At the Last Supper, the Passover meal, where Jesus is sharing food with his disciples and giving them instructions, he, says, he takes a cup of wine and he says, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In this moment, Jesus is signaling to the new covenant, the new promise that will be kept between God and his people. Within scripture, wine is synonymous with the promise of life and life to its fullest. And so the richness in this simple moment of taking water and changing it to wine signals that there is something new happening here. 
If we go back to the description of the jars and their primary use, they were used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. A lot of Jewish law was about ritual. It was about purifying and desiring to be clean before God and fellow man. Much of Jesus' life to follow would be about challenging this idea of ceremony and clean and unclean. He would go on to befriend prostitutes. He would engage with the physically ill. He would heal people on the Sabbath. These would be the other signs that follow. And all of these are about transformation. They are about moving from an old way of doing or seeing things to a new way. Running out of wine in this situation was not just an inconvenience, it was a disaster. It would have left the family in shame and their reputation within the community would have been ruined. This was the work that Jesus was all about though. He was about restoring the reputation of people. And so when we think about new life and how the kingdom of God works, it literally takes what we know and understand and it flips it on its head. There are many situations and moments in my life where I can't see beyond the immediate, where I feel stuck in a situation and the emotions that come with it. And so I start to think, gosh, is this forever? Is this just who I am now? There are ways that the world works, that society and structures work that I look at and I think, surely not. Surely not, this is the best that we can do. Surely not, it's just okay to keep going in this direction. Does this resonate with anyone? We can feel stuck. We can feel powerless. It's very real in those moments to feel like there's no let up. The loss is too great. Maybe you've even felt your reputation is at stake. But this new life that Jesus comes to demonstrate is about doing things differently than before. And this transformation that takes place when following Jesus is open for all. It says proudly in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. That transformation is ongoing and ever moving. And as we continually ask the Spirit to fill us his redeeming, with his redeeming power to change us and change situations, we are promised to see a kingdom working. And if we return to verse 11, the disciples saw this sign. They saw his glory and they believed in him. This new life in the kingdom means we are no longer bound or restricted or by the conditions of before. So even our own sin, our guilt or our shame cannot and will not hide us away from the transforming love of God. Which leads me on to one final little additional point. This wedding took place on the third day. What else took place on the third day? The resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. This marriage celebration taking place on the third day is mirroring the wider, bigger, more wondrous union that would take place between God and his people. 
The resurrection was the moment that Jesus demonstrated that death was no longer the enemy and nothing is able to block or hinder us from the knowledge and love of God. This kingdom of God that we have spoken about is all about unity and relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords and the most loving, faithful and incredible Father. And so maybe as the band, you want to come up? I'm just going to finish um, with one more Charles Spurgeon quote because I did fall in love with him doing this talk. (laughs) Um, But he says, why does God work great wonders of grace? I answer, because he is great and greatly wonderful. He acts according to his nature when he doeth great wonders. This passage that we have read models beautifully the nature of God and his kingdom. This is the glory that this sign was pointing towards, that he is abundant through our lack, that he promises and continues to promise to do new and surprising things, that he works with compassion and he creates in unexpected ways. So whatever lens you have been reading this passage through, maybe you are full of gratitude having experienced God's provision recently. Maybe you are waiting and willing God to do just something. Perhaps you are careering through each week unaware of him at work in your life. The truth of who he is does not change. And we even have permission to keep asking for more. This story signaled the start of him revealing more of himself to his people. And he continues to do just the same with us, revealing who he is, how he loves us, how he cares for us, and how he is present in it all.